This is a River Church podcast production. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. James here, affectionately known as the beach pastor here at the River Church of the South Bay. Alas, the beaches are closed, so I'm here in the Turnbow's backyard. I got Josh behind the camera, well over six feet away. Josh, you're looking tremendous today. Thanks for being a part of this. I am just so delighted to be with you. I am—I really mean that. I woke up this morning thrilled out of my mind to be with you. Heck, it is nice just to have somewhere to go. It is great to have a reason to change out of the yoga pants I've been wearing all week long. I'm just kidding. I don't own yoga pants, but they look terribly comfortable, so I'm in the market. Speaking of clothing, there's been a lot of buzz around the staff. There's been a lot of chatter, a lot of excitement regarding Todd's shirt last week in the sermon. Apparently, Todd is taking advantage of this quarantine time to take our teaching team's wardrobe up a level. So this morning, I went through my closet and I was gonna try to pick something out that might rival, sort of bring a little healthy competition into the game. This here, I think it grabs the grabs the eye, captures the imagination. This shirt's kind of a, it's a lucky shirt, I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, Bray advised me that these shirts are are just gonna make people angry, so I decided to just. By the way, Josh promised me a laugh track for this intro, so it's gonna be so much better in post-production. That I promise you. So we have been, since Easter, marinating in the resurrection. It was just a wonderful moment Todd had as he preached the resurrection service, and he said, why don't we just keep preaching about the resurrection for a few weeks. And so we have been diving and exploring into this wonderful concept, this multifaceted, super important concept. And so this morning, I have an opportunity to continue that exploration. And what I want to look at today, I want to look at the after effects, the after effects of the resurrection. One of my favorite things to do after a giant event, so when there, if there's a big weather event, for example, a storm and all night long the wind is blowing and rain is pouring down, I like to wake up super early in the morning and go on a run and just look and see the effects that the storm had, or if I'm somewhere in the mountains and there's a first snow or a fresh snow, I love getting up early and just going to see what effects the storm had. Um, slightly less beautiful. I also have a weird thing where I like to, after 4th of July, I like to, on the 5th of July, early in the morning, I go on a run in Hermosa Beach just to see like the catastrophe that has resulted from the 4th of July celebration the day before. In resurrection, when we think about this supernova in salvation history, this major event, one of the coolest parts about the New Testament is these ancient authors are one by one exploring the ramifications, exploring the effects that this resurrection event has had and continues to have and continues to have. And so today, I want to look at one ancient letter from Paul of Tarsus, a letter to the Ephesians. It was actually a, a cyclical letter. It was a letter that was sent around to a bunch of different churches and probably ends up in Ephesus as kind of the, the holding spot. I'm going to look at a, a passage in the first chapter of this letter where Paul excavates and explores the various levels of impact and after effect that the resurrection has had on not just 
us as a community, not just the earth or history or the future, but on us as individuals, you sitting at home in your pajamas. What effects as a follower of Jesus does the resurrection have on your life? And so we're going to look at that. And then I want to turn to ask the question, how can we live into those effects? How can we practically, tangibly more and more discover what they are in our lives and allow them to really change the way we think, the way we live, the way we relate, the way we plan and play. And so for that, I'm going to look at a little uh, picture of Jesus of Nazareth and one of the habits of his life, one of the habits of his life while he was in his traveling ministry here on the earth. So Ephesians chapter 1 starts this letter in Ephesians chapter 1 with what is in Greek a giant run-on sentence. It is line after line after line with no stopping punctuation. And in Greek, that's totally appropriate. In English, if you wrote like that, your English teachers would be marking up that paper with red pen. It would be definitely in the D range. But in Greek, it expresses the excitement Paul has for the cluster or the constellation of concepts that he is trying to articulate. Now, if I tried to read that at full speed myself, I'd probably hyperventilate. But thanks to the wonders of modern technology, thanks to the iTelephone, the World Wide Web, the thing that the kids are calling the intranet, we've been able to recruit an elite team of readers to help me read this text. So I'm going to start it off with our first reader. Hey, Micah, here you go. Thanks, James. First Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 12. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Here you go, Judah. Thanks, Micah. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has really given us in the one he loves. Thank you, Jada. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Here you go, Brixton. Thank you, my Charlie. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Here you go, Cooper. Thanks, Brixton. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which is purpose in Christ. Here you go, August. Thanks, Cooper. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Here you go, Amalia. Thanks, August. In whom also we have obtained inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Here, Bailey. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope 
in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Here, Mr. James. Thanks, Bailey. Wow, way to set that Bible down with some authority. That's what I'm talking about. So this passage continues on. Paul doesn't even stop there. You'd think like, take a breath, Paul, take a little time out, rest, recover a bit, and then continue. But instead he continues on driving forward. I'm going to jump to verse 15 where he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. Now check out what Paul prays for them. This is really important. The logic of Paul's prayer request. Okay, what is he praying for? He says this, I keep asking God that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's, that's a spirit of understanding, a spirit of understanding, so you may know him better and I pray that the eyes of your heart, what a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That is, in his people that are set apart, that are special, that are totally, totally operating on a different level. And I pray that his incomparably great power for us who believe, that we can understand that incomparably great power. Now check out the power, the engine, the source, the epicenter of all the blessings that Paul has listed off already. Here it is. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So the resurrection power of Jesus, that power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power Paul claims that is operating and thriving and pulsating in the lives of these very normal Christians that he writes to in and around Western Asia Minor in the ancient world. So this is not a prayer that Paul prays where he says, oh, I just, I wish that you would have an inheritance with the Lord. I wish that you could be forgiven. I wish that you could experience the manifold blessings of God. I really wish all these things for you. So I pray that they will happen. Instead, notice what his prayer is. His prayer is, I pray that you can have eyes to see what has already happened for you. That is, look under your chair and see the amazing treasure that God has already located or given you. It's not a prayer that maybe if you keep being a good little boy or a good little girl, then God will give you little doses of resurrection power every morning and eventually that will all accumulate into a giant transformation. Rather, his prayer is this. It's already happened or the logic is this. It's already happened for you. If you are in Christ, then all of these things are true already. And so my prayer, Paul says, for you is that you would have the bandwidth, the terabytes in your storage space of your mind to really understand this is true. This is who you are. This is your identity. This is truth about who God is, who you are, what has happened and what will happen. And so I just think that is so important to wrap our brains around because so often when we think about accessing the resurrection power of Jesus or how does it affect us, I think of it like I gotta keep struggling after it or walking up that 
lonely ladder of what we call sanctification or becoming holy. And in the logic of Ephesians, it's actually like, it's an excavation. It's a discovery project. It's like a spiritual scavenger hunt. How about that one? Spiritual scavenger hunt, where you're discovering what's already happened, what God's already done. Now think for a second, like if you really, for a moment, stopped and believed, like let me just give you an example. If you stopped and truly believed in verse five, that in love, in love you've been adopted and you could totally and fully believe that. It wasn't God adopting you saying, oh, you know, I, I really, I'll tolerate you and you need a place to be, so I'll bring you into the house, but I don't really love you. Or I, I love you, but I don't really like you. No, that's not what's said here. What's said is you are the beloved of God and in love he adopted you and calls you his child. That's the metaphor that is being used here. I, I will never forget sitting in court and hearing those words from the judge as Bray and I sat there with our family and little Zion Francis pedophiles and the judge said, he is fully your child. And then he emphasized, or she emphasized something. She said, with all the privileges of adoption, including inheritance. And it was kind of a weird thing to emphasize, I thought at the moment, like including inheritance. That is exactly the picture here. You have been adopted in love. If you fully believe that you took my little pill and you really believe that, what do you think that hour would look like? I, I know what you wouldn't be doing. You're, I guarantee you, you're not gonna go find a mirror and say, I'm gonna look in this mirror for 15 minutes and kind of self-hate for a while. And then I'm gonna go about kind of coveting and just wishing ill on people. Or I'm gonna spend a little time uh, selfishly getting what's mine. Instead, I promise you, it would look like freedom. It would look like playfulness. And that's what Paul prays for these believers and for us today. Uh, imagine if for that one hour you could truly believe you have been forgiven. I'm not talking like you've been forgiven, but, but uh, not forgotten what you did. No, I'm talking you have been fully forgiven. Romans chapter 8, there is no longer any condemnation. No condemnation. If you could live that hour full of that knowledge and that truth, I promise you, you're not going to be uh, cloaked in shame. You're gonna be freed, liberated, catalyzed to truly live into the fullness that God has called you into. So this is the series of blessings and there's a whole bunch you can reflect on and read. My question that I wanna to transition to now is how can we make this practical? So how can the power of the resurrection that is, we're told has been given to us, not in little doses, but all at once, that every spiritual blessing has been given to us. How do we enter into that process of discovery? How do we enter into that process of, of truly living into those truths? And what does that look like? And for that, um, we could go to a number of places and I could give you a whole litany of uh, practical tips or highfalutin spiritual truths. But instead, I wanna just look at an example of the life of Jesus of Nazareth and kind of look at one of the habits of his life, of his life and uh, see if we can maybe interweave this into our own our own existence and our own life together. So uh, for this, I want to turn us to the Gospels. And uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, we're told this 
really, um, it's short but pregnant with meaning passage. We're, we're told this little passage that says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It was, it's a statement about a habit of life of Jesus of Nazareth. With all the healing and all the speaking and preaching and traveling that he was doing, one of the earmarks of his life was to stop. I mean, this is like, I kind of want to stop like right now. I mean, are you kidding me? Look at this. The pristine, beautiful South Bay. He would get to a lonely place and he would just pray. He'd commune with the Father. And um, this is in Luke mentioned quickly, Matthew chapter 14 gives us a really beautiful portrait of this. And I want to read it to you. Uh, and it's just in the middle of Jesus' ministry. It starts off, Hearing where Jesus was, he was in a solitary place, verse 13. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So here's Jesus doing what Jesus loves to do, getting alone, being there and people find out and they start following him when jesus when jesus landed and saw a large crowd so he was on the water he saw a large crowd he had compassion on them and he healed their sick as evening approached the disciples came to him and said this is a remote place it's already getting late send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food and what does jesus say he goes they don't need to leave actually you give them something to eat. And they say, well, we have five loaves of bread and two fish and no flour, of course, because it's gone in every grocery store ever. Five loaves of bread, two fish. And he says, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves, the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the people and they all and were satisfied and the disciples picked up the number the 12 basketfuls and brought uh, basketfuls of broken pieces and brought those to Jesus and the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men including women and children so maybe 10 to 15,000 people hungry people these are subsistence level peasants in the Galilean countryside these these are folks that eating is a big deal he feeds them I mean take a look at what he's doing in this passage Here's why I want us to focus on this. One of the reasons why I don't really lean into quiet times with the Lord as I probably should, one of the reasons I don't spend time frequently as much as I probably would benefit from in lonely places is because I have important things to do. I have really important things to get done. Emails to push out, I got dogs to walk, I got life and important priorities. Okay, so what are Jesus's? What's his day look like? Let's see how important his list of to-dos is. It starts off, he's presumably preaching the word. So how important is that? I'm a pastor, so that's important. Jesus though, this is Jesus of Nazareth preaching. That's totally important. And he has a crowd. Like if you gave me a crowd of 15,000 people and they were hanging on my every word and laughing at my joke, I can hardly get Josh to laugh at any of my jokes today. Imagine 15,000 people hanging on my every word. I promise you as a preacher, I ain't going to stop until they start leaving. I'll be like, once we're at 5,000, then I'll stop. I'm going to keep preaching. Now he's healing their sick. Could you imagine anything more important than that? If you have a, when you have a sick child or a sick loved one, 
or you've been suffering with a chronic illness and you knew Jesus of Nazareth was there and could heal, I promise you, you'd move heaven and earth to get that loved one to the feet of Jesus. And you would say, Jesus, we'll give you some Red Bulls, we'll give you some like protein, what electrolytes, whatever you need to help you keep on healing. Don't stop whatever you do. It's so important. And it is important. It's absolutely important. One of the reasons why we pray for those that are first responders and those that are on the front lines in the hospitals right now. It's very important stuff. But here's Jesus healing the sick. And then finally, feeding hungry people. Folks that are in poverty, that are deeply hungry, he's feeding them. Could there be anything more important that you could be up to? And then watch what Jesus does. This is like kind of mind-blowing when you put it in that context. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. Jesus of Nazareth has a huge list of important priorities, a to-do list. But there was something that had to happen, that he had to get to. He knew it was that vital, that vital. And that was to sit and commune with the Father. And so I don't have a fancy trick for you to really believe all these spiritual blessings, the power of the resurrection has infused into your life if you're in Christ. I don't have a pill that I promised you. There's no pharmaceutical company that's going to provide that. That's going to help you truly believe. But I suspect that if we really lean into those lonely places and say, Lord, I need to just get alone with you and really bask in this truth and kind of rewire the way we think about who we are, who God is, what is true, what is utterly true, I think we're going to more and more discover these resurrection blessings that are already ours. I think it's going to be transformational. And this is not something that... Uh, takes a lot of incredible spiritual maturity to do. This is simply finding somewhere quiet, which can be a challenge when you're homeschooling and you got a house full of folks, but finding somewhere quiet to just say, Lord, here I am. Lord, search my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. See what's going on inside of me. Show that to me. Transform my thinking. Um, I don't know about you, but the quarantine... It's, it's, getting, it's getting pretty frustrating. It's at a point now, I think, and I, I see it everywhere with my students at Biola University. I see it with folks I interact with with many of you if I, if I happen to see you at Trader Joe's or something, where there's this desire to say, can we just move on with this? And, and I think, yes, there's so many reasons why I want us, I'm excited for this to be over. But there's also this really in interesting opportunity that we have. You're sort of forced into a lonely place right now and some of you especially those of you that are more extroverts like you're just chomping at the bit this is killing you and I get that but what I've been reminded of as I think about Jesus's life and as, as um, I've been really sitting with the Lord this this last few weeks how how easily distracted I am how quickly I want to busy myself and right now there's nowhere to go there's no plane to hop on there's no vacation to jump and take. There's not even a beach that I can go into to surf or to paddle or to just sit. Instead, I'm sort of stuck in this spot like you. And 
for many of us, this is going to be over soon. I don't know how soon, but it's going to be done. This moment in history will pass on and we'll probably, I pray, not circle back to it again. But what if there's an opportunity right in the middle of this that we can easily be missing? An opportunity to sort of be forced to just be with ourselves and the Lord and to lean into some work that God wants to do. Maybe some terrible thoughts you have about yourself, some deep shame you've been carrying, some real real selfishness, or just some like lust monsters you've allowed to just overtake your life. And this could be a season where you're forced to day in and day out sit with yourself. And for those of you with little kids like I have, it's hard to find any space. It's called Frozen 2. Put that movie on, let the kids watch it, get in the backyard, get in the the attic, I don't care where you have to go, and just sit and be with the Lord. Um, I'll close with a a story. It's kind of an illustration. It's sort of a funny story. When we first became foster parents, uh, we, many of you remember little Nakia and Sade, uh, these two beautiful little sisters. Nakia was the oldest. She was three and a half. And it was pretty clear that she had probably never eaten a vegetable in her life when she first came into our home. And so the first few days, we're like, all right, uh, just letting her have comfort food. That's, that's one of the tips as a foster parent you, you learn is provide comfort food as this tumultuous transition is, is taking place. Uh, and then finally, at about day three, we decided... Let's start easing vegetables into the diet. And so Bray makes this incredibly delicious broccoli, if there's such thing as incredibly delicious broccoli, which is debatable, but it's the best broccoli can be. And we, we had this broccoli and we said, Nakia, if you eat the broccoli, you can get this amazing chocolate dipped pretzel. Amazing chocolate dipped that Katrine Cooper had brought over to the house. Okay, you can have this pretzel. And so I'm, I'm like, eat your broccoli. So she takes a bite and then what do we do as kids? You just let it sit there. It just sits in your mouth. All that rancid flavor as a kid, broccoli, let's face it, right? It's just sitting there. And I'm like, okay, show me show me your mouth. She opens her mouth, the broccoli's still there. So she, I say, chew, chew, chew. She shows me her mouth again, it's still there. I'm like, okay, here's some water. Drink the water, that way she'll swallow it. Nope, it's still there. I'm like, my goodness, this broccoli has some holding power. And then finally, I'm like, you're not getting this chocolate if you don't eat your broccoli. And Nakia's like, does a little something and opens her mouth and the broccoli's gone. And I'm like, I am so proud of you, Nakia. Here is your chocolate covered pretzel. And she eats the chocolate covered pretzel in front of all of us. We're all cheering for her like, yeah, Nakia, you ate the broccoli. Here's your pretzel. And she finishes the pretzel and it's gone. And then all of a sudden she leans down, opens her mouth and spits out all of the broccoli somehow and we still don't know how she had stored like stowed away that broccoli in her mouth and then spit it out and I had to tell like sweetie that's just not how we do it it's impressive it's terribly impressive but it's not how we do it I sort of feel like right now in this quarantine period in this safer at home period it's sort of like we're all eating our broccoli we're forced to be alone and we're just saying how can I get past this or how can I interact with people still or sort of synthetically create community so I don't feel like I'm alone. How can I escape this moment? And so we try to busy ourselves even while we're alone. And at the end of the day, it's like we have this quarantine broccoli in our mouth. And if we just end this in a couple of weeks or months or whatever it is, and we spit it out, 
and we get none of the nutrition, nutritional opportunities, that'd be such a heartbreak. And so my encouragement for you and, and what I've been leaning into is really saying, Lord, here I am. And he's been showing me a lot of parts of my life that are not aligned with the blessings I've inherited. A lot of identity issues where I've been feeling like I'm not teaching, I'm not being productive, I don't know anything about the social media, so I can't really help our church in that front. And I'm feeling a little bit useless, to be quite honest. And the Lord is, is helping me to sit in that and say, interesting, so your value is in what you can produce? Is that what, is that what this is? So your value and affirmation comes from people seeing your work and going, wow, James, that was great. Or my students call me Dr. P, that was wonderful lecture. And the Lord is helping me sit in that with greed. Like this financial ridiculousness that's going on, honestly, I'm st I get a little stressed. I get worried. Will I have enough? Should we stop spending? Should we still pay our house cleaner if they're, if they're not going to be cleaning the house? Uh, should I pay my barber or not, even if I'm not getting my hair cut? just blow drying it insanely. And, and the Lord's kind of bringing me back to going, so, so money, that's something you need to live in scarcity about? Or is that something I own everything in your mind? So sitting alone, it, it's painful and it's frustrating sometimes, but I think it could be that space for you and me to truly bask in, marinate in, and reflect on those resurrection blessings that are already there. So let me pray for you and for me and for all of us. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that we don't have to crawl miles on our on hands and knees to access the blessings you have for us. Thank you that we don't have to, Lord, impress you or be a good little boys and good little girls to win your favor, but we have it because of the resurrection. Lord, I pray that in this last few whatever time period of our safer at home quarantine, that Lord, me and everyone else here can just lean into that time with you like you did, Jesus. Get away to quiet places and pray. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast production of The River Church. To find out more information, please visit our website at riversouthbay.org.